From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it can be infuriating and distressing. The patient who refuses treatment. While some doctors might take a my way or the highway approach, others have found a better path to working with patients who say no to conventional therapies. The biggest trend recently has been a reluctance to get vaccinated for COVID-19. But some cancer patients also refuse life-saving treatments, and they're increasingly encouraged to do so by some communities on social media. This episode, we're joined by my colleague from the Medical Republic, Wendy John. She's just finished a story on why cancer patients refuse conventional treatment and what doctors can do about it. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thanks, Francine. Good to be here. So, Wendy, you've also been doing some podcasts for our Rheumatology Republic magazine as well. So we've got a seasoned podcaster with us today. (laughs) So when I think of people who refuse cancer treatment, I immediately, my mind goes to Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. Yeah, well, he was unfortunately the poster child for that. So um, despite later fully supporting conventional treatments, but when he was first diagnosed, Steve Jobs evidently refused conventional treatment in favour of alternative therapies like acupuncture and, and special diets, etc. But which if you go online, you'll see that they're touted widely as cures for cancer. And a lot of people have a similar belief that alternative therapies are safer because they compare, say, chemotherapy to a no sugar diet and think, oh, OK, so one's really toxic and one's not. Yeah, but there's also some other remedies that are really questionable, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's uh, black cells that slowly burns off flesh when it's applied, and people have tried to remove breast cancer and ovarian cancer by topical application. Uh, there's starvation diets, giving yourself coffee enemas, none of which have qualified scientific evidence to support their claims. And there's increasing support for this kind of misinformation on social media. Yeah, so it really, it sounds like it's the same situation that's happening with misinformation around COVID vaccination and, and the myths that are associated with that, really. Yeah, yeah, I found a lot of crossover, actually, between this story on cancer treatment refusal and a story I did a couple of months ago around people who were COVID vaccine hesitant. Mm. So what are the similarities? I think the first one was there's a lot of misinformation out there on social media about both topics, cancer treatment and COVID vaccines. And with the way that algorithms work, as soon as you type in a curious question about alternative viewpoints, you're likely to get a lot of, I guess, affirmation about those viewpoints fed to you each time you look at your device. So it's a rabbit hole that creates, I think it's a false perception of validity through repetition. And there's really clever and convincing communities and even multi-level marketing around this, um, especially in the cancer treatment space. They'll use an outlier example of healing without chemo and amplify that example as the norm just through repetition. Uh, And then there's just outright lies and and fake news, basically. Mm. And so what can a doctor be expected to do about that? You know, how do you arm yourself against, you know, what is this impossible algorithm out on the internet? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's a it's a new space, I think, that we're working in. So well, one of the other similarities was that just because someone's hesitant doesn't mean that they won't proceed with conventional treatment or vaccination. And often they just need extra information, which is where the doctor comes in. And they want some time to process that information and make a decision. So that's what the doctor can provide. And with cancer patients, at least, research supports this, that most people asking their doctor questions about alternative therapies or even just questioning the toxicity of treatments, most of them are not opposed to it. They're just fearful of the impact. 
and or they're worried about how the treatment regime and the side effects will be able to fit in with all the other responsibilities in their life. Mm, and often I know that some of these online communities, they make you feel really special and they make you feel like all your questions are valid and that you have a lot of agency and that could be the first time that some of these people are actually experiencing that openness because there's been you know sometimes in other healthcare scenarios if you ask a question about something you're often dismissed like oh you don't need to know about that just yeah trust in in the science absolutely and i think that is exactly that's a great example of what happens often when people ask questions of doctors or what people are reporting they feel when they're asking questions of doctors that it's well you must do this and this is the only option then they go online and they get validated and they're able to ask more and more questions and fed information so it's quite understandable how they might lean more towards one than the other i think mistrust of mainstream medicine is relevant for a small group of people Um, But it's not necessarily an assumption assumption that we should make that just because someone's asking questions, they mistrust um, modern medicine. So it's really a broader question of impact rather than of just one general mistrust. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes it is cultural, sometimes it's psychiatric. But what I've learned is that there's many, many reasons why people might resist conventional cancer treatment. They, uh, They might not be able to afford to take time off work. Uh, or they can't afford the extra, you know, $5,000 plus that half of the Australians undergoing cancer treatment will have to pay out of pocket. Uh, or they might be a parent or a carer and have no other options. And so if, if they're out of action, then the person they're caring for, the people they're caring for are stranded. Uh, they might be trying to weigh up the, the risk of losing a quality of life versus the risk of death and they may not understand the statistics around that. Or they might be getting coerced by their partner as well. So it's pretty broad and what doctors have found is the best starting point is to just be really curious about the reasons, whether it's about vaccination or cancer treatment hesitancy, just really being curious about why, what's driving this. Could you give us an example of how this plays out in a clinical setting? Um, Yeah, so one of the experts I interviewed was Associate Professor Leslie Stafford. And she's a clinical psychologist at Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne. So she has had women referred to her as being difficult by doctors because the women have been questioning conventional treatment. So um, she kind of talks about how it might play out as the patient will come in and have fear and that fear leads to a hesitancy and leads to questioning. And then the doctor may feel that they are being questioned that their status or their reputation is being questioned and understandably it's it's infuriating for doctors it goes against everything that they have been brought have been have been trained to do to bring you help heal to protect people from disease so i think there's a little bit of maybe an emotional reaction that sometimes happens within the doctor and then that can be coming out can be demonstrated through maybe sarcasm or abruptness or a my way or a highway kind of approach. That then makes the patient feel isolated. That leads to that patient-doctor trust breakdown. And then the patient may go away and not come back again. So that first encounter is really a sliding doors moment. It really is. And one of the phrases I heard over and over again was, you've got to keep the door open. 
Mm. You've got to leave the door open for the patient to feel okay to come back for more information. Leave the door open for the patient to come back without feeling shame. Leave the door open in a way so that the patient won't be worried that the doctor's going to be smug or patronising if they change their mind and say, okay, now I want conventional treatment. It really is that critical. Professor Stafford also suggested that the onus has got to be on the health professional to be the bigger person when this kind of conflict arises and the doctor's got to try to find a non-judging start point for the conversation. That uh, And finding a way to explore the fears and what's driving the hesitancy. But the problem is that doctors and patients are thinking about treatment from two very different perspectives. How does that unravel? Well, the research indicates that the health professionals are very goal-oriented, as would be expected, and value scientific evidence, also entirely normal. But many patients, they're basing their decisions more on their personal values and their personal experience. So from the point of view of the doctor, everything they're saying is absolutely qualified and absolutely legitimate, absolutely truthful, but the patient is coming at from a completely different perspective. And patients often reluctant to come back if they do change their minds later down the track? Well that's what the research is showing that patients who do have that initial experience where they feel alienated or sidelined by the doctor or criticized by the doctor or patronized by the doctor it often leads those patients to either refusing conventional treatment or delaying conventional treatment which we know can also have some really bad outcomes and no one wants those sort of outcomes. But patients do definitely change their mind. So I spoke to Dr. Christabel Saunders from the University of Western Australia, and she said, of course, you know, she sees patients changing their minds. But once again, as in the case with Steve Jobs, it's sometimes too late. When I was researching this story, another tip that came out for doctors was not to focus exclusively on the negative, the negative impacts of toxicity, how this is going to compromise your life if you're in treatment, but also to focus on the, I guess the positives or some of the extra possibilities to reduce the fear. So for vaccine hesitancy, instead of focusing too much on the rare bad possible side effects and getting caught in a, a funnel of conversation about those, focus on the benefits for your family, benefits for your community, benefits for job security. And with cancer treatments, doctors often focus a lot on the negative impact of, for example, chemotherapy, because understandably that's important in ensuring a patient makes, makes an informed decision. So what did Professor Stafford say were some of the suggestions in how to talk to patients? Well, she said that doctors probably need to focus more on things like the steroids you're given to counteract nausea or cooling caps to reduce hair loss or the advances in precision medicine and all the new approaches that make cancer treatment more successful than perhaps when that patient had witnessed someone they loved suffering and dying through cancer and cancer treatment. So basically adding in all of that information that helps take the fear out of it. She also had some really helpful, I guess, phrases, which I'll, I'll share with you in the minute. But she said the main thing for the doctor to do when they get a patient like this is to first of all, stop and think, what am I feeling? Am I getting irritated? Am I too angry to listen? Am I actually feeling a bit punitive now? So, and you know, Professor Stafford is a, a clinical psychologist. So she's coming from a very understanding perspective and really reinforced that it is distressing for doctors. It is infuriating for doctors. And that's why 
doctors might be feeling frustrated and reacting in this way. So what are some of those non-judgmental positions that you can default to and maybe even if you are really frustrated learn as a little bit of a script in your back pocket for when you encounter these individuals? Yeah so um, Professor Stafford was very helpful. Some ideas that she offered were phrases like let's think about how we can work together to do the best we can to manage your disease. Uh, I can see these decisions need a bit of thought. I can see you need time to process that information. It is a lot of information to assimilate. Um, the quality of your life is important to you. I don't want you to feel coerced or rushed. Or, I wish I could say that omitting chemotherapy would be safe for you, but I can't. So letting the patient know that you can connect with and understand their fear or their reluctance things like it sounds like you're really afraid afraid of the side effects I can hear that you witnessed a lot of suffering when your dad had his chemotherapy research also shows that some of the hesitancy around cancer treatment can be linked to that patient having witnessed a loved one going through a really tough time so that's influencing their decisions and I have to ask were there any oncologists that you spoke to who offer any complementary therapies or try and integrate alternative therapies into their consults when offering treatment? Yes, and it's a really important distinction between alternative therapies and complementary therapies. So Mm. some of the alternative therapies are basically, this is instead of conventional treatment, complementary is complementing conventional treatment. So Professor Christabel Saunders had some good advice on this. She's the Professor of Surgical Oncology at the University of WA. She said the doctor will do well to avoid that my way or the highway approach to treatment, but at the same time, be careful that you don't collude with the patient. So she said things like, yep, meditation, yoga, acupuncture, they're fine. Tell the patient, yep, they're fine, they're good, they'll help you cope. And and they do. It might help cope with pain, can help cope with anxiety, etc. And there's a fair bit of research around those complementary approaches but this can also help the patient see the doctor as a more holistic practitioner rather than just someone who wants to you know give them chemotherapy with all these nasty side effects so it's a it's a win-win so was there any final advice from the experts you spoke to i think probably the last key theme was to surround the patient with good resources and and really consistent messages around treatment options. So Danielle Spence heads up Cancer Strategy and Support at Cancer Council Victoria. And she said that what Cancer Council did with messaging around COVID vaccination for cancer patients could be a good template for what we need to do around cancer treatment messaging. She said it was a really concerted effort with the whole sector coming together to create and and push out, distribute strong messaging around the importance of vaccination for cancer patients and addressing fears and concerns. Uh, And they've gotten a great response from that. So it sounds, Wendy, like there could be a lesson from COVID that can actually be replicated to help support for people who are hesitant about cancer treatment or, you know, treatment for other disease. Yeah, exactly. There's lots of lessons from COVID if we can just take the time to reflect and see where we can take them. Wendy, thank you for your research. Thank you for writing this for the Medical Republic and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. The Tea Room is brought to you by the reporters at the Medical Republic. Production assistance, the music and artwork for the show is produced by Victoria Nelson. Catch you next time.